the mindset of enjoying the journey as opposed to focusing on the outcomes. Because when you get into the work and become present with the work, the outcomes follow. That's the secret. Hello and welcome to Ilani Talks, a podcast that aims to have conversations that are redefining self-care and love for your mental health. I'm your host, Ilani Salcedo. Listen every other Tuesday as I share my own experiences while others feature some truly wonderful guests. In these episodes, gain new ideas for self-care, mental health awareness, and the motivation to keep aligning with your life goals. This week's episode features Lauren Popish from the Wave Podcasting and Swell. Lauren is one of the very first people I connected with in this podcasting journey, and I couldn't be more thrilled to have her on as a guest. During our conversation, she shares the mindset shifts she's had to overcome, a traumatic event leading her to podcasting, her devoted ways to women podcasters, the difficulties of being a business owner, and how your environment profoundly affects the way you live. Learn how challenges can truly be the best teacher for you. Hello and welcome, Lauren, to this episode of Ilani Talks. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. We have so many great things to talk about today. But before all of that, I'd like to ask you the two main questions for every guest that joins. What do you do and what do you want to be known for? Yeah, those are good ones. What I do is I am the founder of The Wave Podcasting. It's a company that helps women start and grow their podcasts. And we do that by providing educational resources, studio space, and most recently, production services through our platform we call Swell. And, you know, all of these services are for women, by women, And I think it's related to what I want to be known for, which is I want to be known as an entrepreneur who created something or built my business around values and around things that are important to me, as opposed to strictly financial or personal goals, even for myself. I want to be known for building something that was based on a desire to do good, even if it was harder to do in the end. Yeah. And I mean, that is such like a beautiful kind of overlook on every like aspect of your life for you to be able to do that as well for yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Really make a business out of it in a way. Exactly. So you're no stranger to shifts, especially as you started the wave as a physical space for women podcasters, although you still definitely have that, but it also growing into the educational platform with incredible value, like you've just mentioned. But before we get into podcasting a bit more in our conversation, what have you learned is the best action for you to take when things suddenly change? Yeah, I mean, changes is something that we can always expect in life, right? You know, Mm -hmm. change, death and taxes, maybe. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) It's all, uh, you know, it's such a, a part of the way that we operate. And I think you can know something like that intrinsically and still not really understand the how you react or the true implications of what change means for you. Mm-hmm. So I've had to understand my point of view on dealing with change 
particularly around this pandemic time. I mean, so many mm. people are going to listen to this and say, yep, me too. Like the pandemic, uh, it changed so much for so many people. But I think through trial and error, what I found to be the best action for change is to have the openness and the maybe lack of ego to mm. let yourself change with the changing time. So instead of, you know, instead of resisting or trying to wish away something that maybe you don't have any control over, to be adaptable, to be flexible, to be moldable to circumstances that while you can't change them, you can affect or you can choose your reaction to them. Mm -hmm. And so I think the best thing is to just be open to what this could mean sometimes change we often associate with like a negative or as being a bad thing or a negative thing. Ultimately, change doesn't have to be cited. You know, it doesn't mm. have to have a positive or negative association. It simply just is. I know I'm sounding mm. very like meta right now. But I'm like, wow, <laughs> take your own advice. Uh, who told you that? But I guess the point is we don't have to associate negativity with change, even though right. it can give us a feeling of discomfort. If we're open to what it means, we can actually mm. see the kind of opportunity within it, which I think so many, there's so many great examples of people who have done that, particularly in the last year and a half. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, like everybody could really listen to this and be like, yeah, I definitely understand how change could feel like something really maybe like bizarre to us or something that we can't really grasp because we haven't been through it or we don't think yeah. we act a certain way. But of course, life shows you different ways of what you might have thought was true, which is not, or you thought you might have been a lot more calm about things and then yeah. change comes and you're like, well, I'm not that calm whatsoever. <laughs> so yeah, I love that you mentioned also like that there's a, I guess a negativity when you hear the word change. Yeah. And that's such a light to put on because I think, like you said, it's just is. Sometimes change is, that's all it is. And yeah. we need to like really be aware of, of how it impacts us, but it's going to happen regardless of like, you know, what we feel about yeah. it. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. The only control we have over it is our own reaction. And so change things things that naturally are unknown from a survival standpoint often mm. do feel uncomfortable if you can just like step outside of and like not identify yourself with your thoughts and feelings and say yeah. i hate change or i am angry about change and instead say a feeling of negativity that is outside of me you know feels that way about change then you you're disassociating it to feel like you personally are mm -hmm. impacted by this and instead just try and separate yourself so that you can have a clear head about it yeah i mean meditation and some of these like mindfulness practices which i know that you touch on in mm -hmm. your podcast are great tools to help you get to a point where you you can say that about things that are uh, confusing or uncertain in your life. Right. And this will kind of like piggyback on what we were just speaking about. But how have you been able to lean into more difficult moments that have helped you improve personally and professionally? It's so I have found myself in a position where I've kind of built a company around 
struggles that I've mm-hmm. had. Uh, and we'll get into this. I know we're, we're meant to talk about this a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. But when you're on the other side of a difficult moment, it is so easy to look back and say, oh, yeah, you know, you just lean into it and you really just uh, go for it. But in that moment, it is so much harder to <laughs> find like reason and even just like rational thinking when you're in this kind of like panic or in difficult moments that actually are tough. I mean, it's so easy to look back and, and when you're out of the clear or even look forward and say, well, anytime I would have a difficult situation, I would just do this. But when you're in the moment, uh, it can be so much harder and so leaning into difficult moments, the, the biggest thing that I have found is just trying to give myself a little bit of space mm. to figure it out. So not placing the responsibility of, well, you need to make this the right decision or you need to have a perfect reaction or a rational reaction right now. It's more of like just step yourself outside of it. Just like give yourself a little bit of space from whatever this circumstance is so that you can look at it less personally and more Mm -hmm. through the eyes of an outsider so that you can bring rational thinking. Mm -hmm. Fight or flight, if you're an anxious person like I am, all of those things reduce the ability or they make it hard to be rational in tough Mm -hmm. moments. So when you implement or when that fight or flight or freeze mode hits, it's just like a physiological reaction that is meant to make you Mm -hmm. not think clearly. If you just slow it down, step out of it, give yourself like a little space to just like feel the feelings and Mm -hmm. be like, okay, I'm upset. This is difficult. I don't feel good about it. Maybe have a cry, maybe eat that piece of chocolate or whatever you do when you get (laughs) a little stressed and then come to it once it's less painful and less fresh so that because like the only way to make good decisions is with a rational mind and sometimes your body just doesn't let that happen yeah because we get like so it could either be you know you're ready to take action and that's not from a rational standpoint especially if you're currently going through something that's really difficult or like you know it just doesn't make you really think or we take it from a very emotional standpoint as well yeah. and and like you said stepping away gives you that space to feel whatever it is that you're feeling cuz that's of course definitely valid but then to make decisions and rational decisions and decisions that actually make sense for your life or for whatever it is that you're trying to do that is from a better place than like the instant reaction that you might be getting or going through the emotions you're going through. Exactly. Yeah. If you can avoid, avoid making decisions with a, you know, agitated in an agitated state because they're, they'll be survivalistic in, in nature, right? They won't Mm -hmm. be coming from a place of your best interest or frankly, the best interest of whoever else you're engaging with, your your friends, your families, your colleagues. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's probably the best piece of advice. Don't react uh, or don't take action when you're in a uncomfortable state. Yeah, exactly. So what personal mindsets have you had to really look at before making deeply impactful choices? So many, <laughs> so many <laughs> mindsets I've had to take a look at. Mm. I would say the biggest one has been around 
expecting some kind of outcome or acting with an outcome in mind, as opposed Mm -hmm. to acting in a way that simply gets you from going through a journey. Basically, it kind of comes back to presentness, right? But Mm -hmm. I help women start podcasts. And when you start a podcast, there's usually some objective in mind, right? You you either want to influence people or you want to build a brand or you want to sell products or you want to do a number of things. So those goals can sometimes, I find, impact the way that people approach the journey of podcasting, mm-hmm. which ultimately is most successful when you do it for a long time and you do it with a certain amount of consistency. So what people end up losing is the joy of the act of speaking to people or the joy of going through the process of having a podcast because they're so outcome focused and building a business is the same way. It's, it's hard not to look at things like revenue and just be looking at, you know, when I can get to a higher degree of that, or I can get more money in the bank or more prestigious clients, whatever it is. But ultimately, it makes that process of actually doing your day-to-day job kind of unenjoyable because Mm -hmm. you're so fixated on how you can get more and not present in the reason you started it in the first place, which is like, wow, that person's day just got better because I was able to help them edit their show and they got a little bit time, more time back in their day. So the mindset of enjoying the journey as opposed to focusing on the outcomes. Because when you get into the work and become present with the work, the outcomes follow. That's the secret, right? Is like, don't care about the outcomes because they'll follow when you are so concentrated and focused on your craft and and the why behind what you're doing. It's a continual practice that I have to take with a lot of things because I'm an achiever type personality. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. I like the outcomes. I'm motivated by outcomes. It's something that I practice and I try and help my clients practice as well. Right. And it's that like level of expectancy that you sometimes put so much on yourself when you start doing something, even if it's something very minimal, because I could totally relate to that experience um, as a business owner myself. And we'll definitely get more into that later on. But It's that, like, as I was hearing you speak, I was just like, it's that expectancy that we put on ourselves that, yes, we want to do this for the reasons that we want to do it for. But sometimes that could get clouded by like, oh, but we really want it to to work and and be whatever it is that we envision it to be. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't think it's a crime to like want good outcomes for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But what you lose is the satisfaction of your of the journey and the process of it, which, you know, can be is where most of the joy lies is in is in the act. So, you know, it's it's really just more painful and not as an enjoyable of process in the end. Yeah. And with the theme of like changes and difficult choices and all of that, how has moving from one coast to another change the way you see life? And can you share where you used to live and where you live now for people who don't know? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I graduated college, I, I moved to New York and that was my big, big city dream. I had wanted mm-hmm. to do that forever. I was like watching Gossip Girl and like, <laughs> how do I get on the steps of the Met, you know? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I went and did that. And 
there was a lot of joy and accomplishment in, in just being able to live and work and make it in mm-hmm. New York, especially because I don't know if I'm sure I've told you this, Yolani, but I grew up in Wyoming, which is mm-hmm. the least populous state in the U.S., <laughs> small town. And so it was it was a confirmation for me that I kind of had the power it comes back to like a little bit of like, what can you control when you, what can you not control? Mm-hmm. It, it was a certain amount of proof that I did have the ability to influence parts of my life that were important to me. And so living in New York was was a thrill, uh, lots of highs and lows. And about two years ago, me and my fiance decided to move to L.A. as for a number of reasons, you know, change of pace, weather, <laughs> more right. more space, you know, some of those things that you yearn for that New York is like keeps from you in exchange for living in a very thrilling place. They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, but you're not going to have any square footage. And <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you're going to commute every day for an hour, whatever it is. And we've been back and forth because his family does live in upstate New York. And so mm. we've with COVID, we've kind of adapted to the nomadic life and the ability to work wherever. And so we've gone back and forth. I think something that this experience has taught me of like moving between these places and just being on the move Mm -hmm. is a couple of things like culture is real culture, Mm -hmm. meaning the philosophies that a collective group of people have about the way that life should happen. So in New York, there is a culture of workaholism, right? Oh yeah. That is like, (laughs) It's the rat race. It's the competition. And when you're in it, you subscribe to it because it is so powerful. Like culture is so powerful. It's the reason that all of us who choose to not work for ourselves, but choose to work in office environments care about company culture is Mm. because even if you don't subscribe to that philosophy, it's nearly impossible not to be sucked into someone else's culture because the communal influence is so strong. And so this thought of like these stereotypes about East Coast versus West Coast, in every stereotype, there is a certain degree of truth that has been simplified to a point where it becomes, you know, non-important or like not real anymore. Mm -hmm. But at the core of like the West Coast is really chill and the East Coast is really you know, intense is Mm -hmm. just what I found is there is a group of people in LA who the vast majority of the society here believe in a certain amount of balance that I find to be more healthy. And Mm -hmm. just this thought that a place can influence your, your lifestyle. I think that's really important if you're finding it difficult to achieve certain types of experiences in your life. If if you're someone who feels like you can't connect deeply enough with community, that could have to do with your larger culture of where you choose to live. Same with your health. And when people want to hang out with me in Los Angeles, they ask me to go on a hike. When mm-hmm. I used to live in New York, they would ask me to go out for cocktails. So mm-hmm. the, there is a certain amount of influence that a place can have. I think that's been one big learning. And then another one is just that As much as we believe, especially as business owners, that we can do it all and we have everything we need to make the life that we want, 
people and community are an important part of our just like well-being. Humans are social creatures. And I think all of us to a certain degree realize that during the pandemic and isolation. But even though we have the choice to go live anywhere and go be anywhere and travel anywhere, what you lose by leaving a community and being in a constant state of not having community or in a constant Mm. state of semi-isolation, I think can be more detrimental than I think we all think. The freedom is really appealing, but we're not meant to experience life on our own. So I, even if you're someone who is introverted like me and keeps a small group of friends, small is still a certain, you know, a small group is different than no group. And I just really have placed a higher value on my community and my, the people who I call my friends and my family than I might have when I was younger, when it felt like the world was my oyster and location wouldn't be a barrier to what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I now, I put more weight on who can be around me when I choose to be in a place. Right. All valid points. And I think people don't notice, and especially if they get really sucked into their environment and just kind of adapt to whatever it is, that you're your exteriors and what you surround yourself by daily influences so much of what you do and don't do. Oh, as much as as we might think, you know, we're individualists, or like, or you know, no one could change me. But like, where yeah. you live and who you surround yourself by, or like, what your interests are, a hundred percent change could change how you actually view the world or or what it is that you do in it. You know, I totally agree. I mean, I know a lot of people. Maybe some folks who listen to this podcast would have read The Power of Habits or uh, mm-hmm. Atomic Habits, some of those books that are like really tapped into habit building. And the, one of the biggest philosophies of these books is that, you know, your environment is such and can be so influential in the way that you do or don't take certain actions. One example is like leaving your running shoes out so that you can mm-hmm. see them meaningfully increases the amount of times that you would actually choose to run. And you're exactly right that we believe that, you know, we have so much control, but we are way more influenced than we think. And that's why I do think being holistic about every part of your life, holistic just means, you know, looking at every facet to to build the optimal life for yourself. It's the reason that you can't just be healthy with exercise alone Mm -hmm. and you can't just be healthy with, you know, diet alone. There are so many factors that influence the way that we are. And so I come, my background's in interior design. So I truly believe that space and place is, are one of the biggest influences in our lives. Yeah. And that actually goes in perfectly with the next question. But like you mentioned, your background is interior design for work before you began your business and our business owner today, how has leaving that industry impacted you and what other influences has it had on the way you live currently? You know, I love that I got a design degree. I think that design thinking and training your brain to be creative or or problem solve in a creative way is one of the most valuable 
tools that you could apply to every single industry. And I really mean that design thinking, I think has applications literally everywhere. So Mm. I, even though folks consider maybe uh, design degrees to be less marketable than let's say a degree in economics or a law degree or a, you know, becoming a doctor, you know, I would really say that if you were to go to a founder or some of the brightest minds out there, what they really want is someone who can think in mm. a creative way. And I think a design degree does that. They don't just teach you the principles of how to have an opinion or how to, you know, develop an aesthetic. What they really do is teach you how to think. And so mm. I've been able to apply parts of my interior design background to every part of my life, especially my uh, building a business. Mm. I will also say that when I started the wave, my big idea, like the big breakthrough I had was this belief that space could impact the way women specifically, their confidence and their willingness to speak up and speak out. And so I wanted Mm. to create a physical environment where women could come in and podcast and that a a space that was comfortable and built for them may increase their likeliness to tell their stories or increase how they speak, increase their confidence. And so that entire concept that a place could influence your physical or your emotional state really came from my work in interior design. I built interiors for offices, mostly workplaces. And you'd be amazed how measurable the impacts of certain work environments are on their employees. I believe that you could take those same principles and apply them to, you know, not just your productivity, but let's say your confidence in a space, your, you know, the volume of your voice, the strength of your voice, all of those could possibly be tied to the space that you're sitting in when you're speaking. So I directly attribute my design thinking background and just my love and appreciation of space in influencing my ability to be successful and even choosing to take a career that is my self-employment career. Mm -hmm. It has made the biggest difference, even though you wouldn't naturally associate podcasting with interior design. Right. But that it's such a beautiful spin to it. And I could hear it as you're explaining it, that there's no way that it couldn't influence how you work and what you do right now yes. uh, for yourself, you know, and that kind of also brings experience like more to life. And like you say, with like your mission to really uh, do these things for women to like, feel more confident and, and be in a space so that maybe their voice sounds better because of it is just exactly. so, so incredible to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you hear around this time of year, lots of people talking about seasonal depressive, seasonal Mm -hmm. depression, which is like a direct impact of like, you know, your environment, right? That you're feeling, you know, a little bit down because of the colors and the, you know, your surroundings, the lack of sunlight, the lack of certain rays, like, you know, it's not hard to imagine that an environment that emulates certain tones and colors and emotions wouldn't have those same impacts on your confidence and your, you know, speaking abilities. So yeah, it to me is such a natural fit for podcasting, even though maybe on a piece of paper, it wouldn't be obvious. (laughs) Right, right. And 
you shifted into the podcasting after having a dramatic experience. Can you share with the audience what that was and ways it can still come up for you today? Yeah, I was working at a large real estate company. I had taken my interior design degree and kind of transitioned it into other like another company. At first I was designing interiors and then I was working on technology that would emulate some of those uh, interior design concepts. And this was, I guess, about four, four or five years ago, maybe even five now. It's amazing how long five years sounds, but Mm. it really, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was giving a routine presentation at work and I was on the sales team. So I was a confidence speaker. And I really felt that speaking was one of my best attributes. It was the reason that I was in this role. It was the thing that I was praised for the most in both my younger years and my adult years. And so I, it was also a, just a presentation I had given a million times. Like mm-hmm. it was so routine. And what I didn't know at the time was ultimately that I had mono. So, you know, I was actually having some like physical, I wasn't feeling as good as, as I normally would. And maybe was having Mm -hmm. these kind of like quiet symptoms under the surface. But ultimately I I gave a big presentation to a a group of people and right in the middle of -hmm. this presentation, I started to hyperventilate a little bit. It's, Mm -hmm. it was basically this scenario where you keep breathing in and but not you're not giving a big enough exhale right so you're and in that moment I had this big wave of anxiety just pass over me like a huge panic attack Mm -hmm. and what was not concerning or like it wasn't the actual physical symptoms that were so alarming to me it was me experiencing for the first time that speaking could be vulnerable and scary because it had never been hard for me. It had come so naturally. And so in that moment, I was like, what is happening? Like Mm. my body is betraying me. This used to be something that I felt like I had complete control over. I have no control. And ultimately I had to, I could not continue speaking. Like I was opening my mouth and like no words were coming out. Oh my God. And I ultimately had to leave the room. I kind of tried to play it off like, you know, oh, my throat, you know, I was, I was kind of coughing, fake coughing. And I I had Mm -hmm. to walk out of the room and it's funny, the coordinator came up and she was like, oh, you know, you've been on the road. You've been giving so many of these presentations. Like, I'm sure your throat, blah, blah, blah. Like, here's some Mm -hmm. water, go back in. And I was like, I don't think you understand. Like, I don't think I can keep, I don't think I can go back in. And, and she was like, what are you talking about? Uh, Because it wasn't, you know, a panic attack often just isn't obvious from the outside. Um, It's not, it's not, you always think it's like a, this big momentous thing. And in reality, people don't see it the way that you're experiencing it. Mm -hmm. What happened after that day was, you know, I, well, I, got mono and was absolutely knocked on my butt for about a month and was very, very ill. But when I got back into the office, it had instilled in me almost like a phobia of speaking. Mm. 
I mean, for a while, I could barely be in a meeting room with just colleagues, like people I knew, because I was so afraid that I would just, that I couldn't control my body, that I would yeah. like throw up or I would stop breathing or I, something would, or I'd pass out, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. all these fears of just like being unwieldy that, uh, that, you know, I couldn't control my body. And so I ultimately had to leave my role in sales. I mm-hmm. couldn't proceed. I was having panic attacks every single day. And Yelani, like I really, at that time, didn't know what, like how I could proceed into the future. Like oh, I, I, I just didn't, Yeah, it, it was like, I don't know if I can ever speak at a conference again. I don't know if I even want to be, I had all these aspirations of owning my own company, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can be an entrepreneur. I don't know if I can ever interview again. Like I just, I thought I was going to have to give up major parts of my life. And so what I started doing is just, I stopped raising my hand for opportunities. Like if a conference or there was a panel, I'd be the first one to say, Hey, I'd love to go do that. I stopped, I stopped participating. I mean, I even had like a friend say, Hey, I'd love you to do a reading at my wedding. And I was like, I can't. So I'm, I'm like actively turning down things that would be good for me professionally and important to me personally. Mm -hmm. And what I started to realize is that, you know, those opportunities, that's not like a neutral, it doesn't have a neutral impact on you in your career meaning there are other people who go out and accept those when you say no, and then they get to, you know, continue and bolster their career. They get to be considered for promotions before you do. They get to have their idea shared and maybe go raise investment capital because you chose not to. So Mm -hmm. it's not like there's no impacts. People are going out and taking those opportunities that you declined and using them to get ahead. And So I just had this moment of empathy where I was like, there are so many people out there. We know how many women, sorry, just people in general are, have public speaking anxiety. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, is that the majority of those individuals are women. So 75% of people say they have some kind of speaking fear and 44% of those people are women. So we have mm. the majority of people who are afraid to speak up are women. Probably there's probably some societal impacts to that. There's probably right. some societal reasons for that. But I just started to think to myself, how speaking is a muscle. If I'm going to get my confidence back, I need to find a way to exercise it the same way I would exercise at a gym to like build, improve my health over time. Mm-hmm. So podcasting became a tool for me to regain, find my voice again and regain confidence. But as I started to learn that lesson for myself, I started to think more about individuals or women who might be going through similar things and might also not be aware that podcasting can be used not just as a marketing tool, but as an empowerment tool. And Uh, If you created a safe space, back to that place and space concept, and you encourage them to get behind the mic and flex that muscle of speaking so that they can build the confidence, then more women would be saying yes to the opportunities that will help them get ahead in life in whatever 
facet that is. It's not just career, right? It's, yeah. it's uh, spreading your mission, starting a movement, being an activist, you know, whatever your thing is, it just, if it stays inside you, it might as well not exist. Your ideas are only as good as your ability to tell people about them and mm. share them and ultimately have people take action on them. So podcasting became that tool for me. Now, I always like to caveat this story with, I also did a lot of other work to mm -hmm. gain back my speaking confidence. It was years of therapy and exposure therapy and a lot of hard work to kind of get to the place where I am now, which is I'm, I'll never return to that once like naive and so happy and comfortable in front of an audience state. I just won't, mm -hmm. but I can get, I still, I now say yes to opportunities knowing that I will be uncomfortable to a certain degree, but that I still should be up there and can speak. And podcasting, it was one of many techniques that I used to kind of get that confidence back. Right. Oh my God. So many, so many points to touch upon. That was beautiful. The way, <laughs> the long. way you uh, tied it all together. No, but I could not imagine being so like excited throughout my whole life, you know, being okay with speaking in front of people. And, you know, you said you, you've given that, that specific sales pitch for, for however many times you've done it. And then all of a sudden that day, that one incident happens and it completely changes everything. Um, <laughs> you like, have no idea how many so it was actually incredibly the last presentation of a huge like oh. six week roadshow. So I had given it 22 times oh in 22 cities. Oh my God. Before. And you have no yeah. idea how often I think to myself, or maybe I used to think more to myself, like, mm -hmm. what if I just hadn't gone? What if I hadn't gone to Charleston and had that mm. one experience? you know, it's possible I still would have experienced something like it at a different time. Right. And full and like, if I'm totally honest, I'm a better speaker now because mm. I prepare more. I think more deeply about speaking when at the time I just kind of would show up and let my mouth do the rest. And sometimes mm -hmm. that do doesn't always yield the best result, but you have no idea how often I think like, that one time, what if it hadn't have happened? I, I, yeah. I'll never know. And it's not worth dwelling on it, right. but you're absolutely right. It was such a freak thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Even as you were explaining, I'm like, I could not imagine how that must feel. And, and, you know, you've said that you've had to do so many things and podcasting was one of the, of the many things that you've had to kind of go through in order to bring that confidence back a little bit. Although you won't necessarily have it all back because of that traumatic event. But at least you've been able to kind of take action and really move forward with it, no matter how hard it, it might still be for you. And you, you learn new tools as well, because now you have to prep right. and maybe you have to think more in depth, with it, which is always great to reflect a little bit more. So at least I'm sure that there's a lot of like advantages that has come with it, even even though it's been hard. I am definitely better off for having that experience than mm -hmm. if I had continued without the humility that that experience gave me. But it also gave me the idea for the wave, which has been one of my greatest life accomplishments is to like start and own and have a business 
that helps women. I'll, I'll never regret that, but I would have never conceived of it if I hadn't gone through that experience. So I am definitely better for it as hard as it's been. Yeah. And as someone who is not always comfortable, like speaking in front of people, podcasting has even helped me and just be able to speak to people more, be okay with going on meetings, not needing to. I definitely have to prep before anything just because I get really anxious and I just kind of need to know what's going on or how it's going to flow. But it's just a lot easier not to over preparate myself than I would have like if I didn't start this podcasting journey. Absolutely. I'm I'm with you 100%. You can point, it, it is about confidence, right? You've done the mm-hmm. work. You can point back to dozens of podcast episodes where you have used your voice to express an idea. And while, you know, you might never be able to walk on stage without preparation, I don't think that's a good idea really for anyone to do, right. you know, the best speaker. <laughs> you don't think like Obama, one of our greatest like presidential speakers, Mm -hmm. you know, didn't practice for his speeches. He absolutely did. But you at least have something to point to, to say, hey, I've done this before. Like I've done the work. I have some practice and I at least know that I am capable of doing this. Right. And I know we've spoken about this throughout our conversation, but the wave, of course, is your business and you offer very diverse experiences for women podcasters. Could you share more about what you offer, the content that you also give out, where this passion came from, if you could expand on that a bit more and what's been one of the most rewarding experiences? Absolutely. So the wave you know, our initial concept was to provide studio space for women so that they could be in an environment that would help them gain confidence and tell their story with the world. That studio opened in March of 2020 and promptly (laughs) closed. Um, So we never got anyone in the studio. But, you know, to the point of like, what do you do? You just, you have to recognize that it's out of your control. And so we pivoted to having the same mission of helping women uh, tell their stories through podcasting and gain confidence through the medium, except the way that we chose to do that is was primarily through educational resources for you know the first year of the pandemic. That includes a range of resources that are both free and paid. We offer, you know, we have over a hundred free articles about podcasting on our website that cover every topic you could you could ever want. YouTube videos and uh, free content that way. And then we also produced a, a really comprehensive ebook towards the end of 2020 and released that for sale. As you know, the pandemic continued and I spoke to more podcasters. What I realized is that, you know, what's keeping a lot of women from growing and continuing their shows, because podcasting has this insane rate of people who start shows and then stop producing them. It's called pod fading. And there's like some people estimate that on Apple podcasts, as high as like 75 or 80% of the shows that you can find on there aren't actively being produced. They ju- they're just wow. like been abandoned. That's um, a huge number. <laughs> I know, I know. And so, wow. you know, the thing that is causing that is that 
podcasting is very time consuming. So even if you're providing resources on how to start and grow, you can have that knowledge and still not have the time to produce Mm -hmm. your show in a way that will like allow you to keep doing it over a long period of time. And so we realized that to help people with time, we needed to take some of the the tasks of podcasting off their plates. One of the biggest and most time-consuming tasks for a podcaster is the editing process. And so we decided to open a podcast agency that would do the editing and some of the more tedious production tasks for female podcasters and do it for them. But knowing that only 5% of the individuals working in audio are women, we also wanted to create more demand for women to enter the audio editing and audio engineering Mm -hmm. space. So our editing service is the first of its kind in the sense that it is for female podcasters and by female audio engineers and writers. So our entire staff identify as female. They're all women and all of our clientele are women. And the beauty of that is it's kind of taking the same concept of how do you create an environment that makes people happy and confident to share their stories. If you can't do it in a physical realm, how do you replicate that in the Mm -hmm. digital realm? And I really feel happy and confident that we have been able to do that. A lot of our clients have gone to the internet and said, I want a female audio engineer. And, you know, we're, Mm -hmm. our service is the first to pop up, which we're really happy and proud of. So that's really what we do and what we're most proud of is that we've been able to support women on both sides of the coin, the podcaster and the the person developing their career as an audio editor, audio engineer. Right. And it benefits everyone involved. I mean, as a podcaster myself, I've used as well for my editing for my episodes, which I absolutely love, obviously like everything you've created, but it's, I don't think people understand the time you actually take to do everything for a podcast. Yeah. It's not only hopping on a call, recording it and just putting it up like the editing process. It's like double the time of how long your podcast episode is most of the time. And even it could even be longer depending how much you want to edit it from it. And then you also like you uh, writing the show notes and, and all those like little bits and pieces that you might kind of forget of doing because you only think of the audio maybe when you first start. But just like having something like the wave and swell in addition to it, I think it's just so incredibly valuable. And I could go on and on talking about it because I really love what you've created. <laughs> but what else do you offer at swell? Because I know I definitely only have gotten episode edits, but I know yes. that you've probably, I think recently or or since the last time I got editing services from you guys, yeah, we've added a few more things. So you, could you go into that a bit more? Definitely. So we try and offer everything between from when you recorded your episode to, Mm -hmm. you know, when you release it and tell people about it. So that includes the biggest thing is definitely audio engineering. The second thing is writing. So every podcast episode should have accompanying written material copy Mm -hmm. to go along with it so that people can find it. Because unlike other mediums, you know, YouTube, for example, has a great search engine. Podcasts don't. They are not as well discovered as other 
social media or other marketing platforms are. And so you need writing as a way to become searchable on Google. That's really what Google loves when placing you in their search is is lots and lots of words. Mm -hmm. So copy is an important part of not just making your episode more actionable. People can go, you know, expand on what you've talked about in your episode, but it can also uh, help you become discovered. Same with transcripts. They have an accessibility component. You know, people who have are hearing impaired, but still want to consume your content as a podcaster can, will use a transcript. And then it also has uh, SEO benefits as well. So there's editing, writing services, and then the third tier is marketing services. And we help a small group of podcasters. It's very time intensive, but we will produce the audiograms, the graphics, Mm. and email marketing copy for podcasts to be able to promote. (laughs) Yes. You're like, yeah, I know. (laughs) I I love all of it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So yeah, we try and we try and do it all, to be honest. Our biggest thing is that we believe one of the barriers to purchasing a service like this for, you know, every podcaster would do it, except that the cost can be really mm-hmm. high because it can be labor intensive. So one of our biggest values is that we try and reduce the barrier to entry for using production services by keeping our costs really low. And we do that by hiring women, our production team, they're all based outside of the US in a place where, you know, the dollar can go a little bit further. We pay them all what we call a thriving wage. So, you know, we research what is not just a livable wage in their area and their country, but what will help them, you know, achieve their personal goals for family, education, home ownership, whatever it is. And so we pay them that, but we are still able to offer lower cost services to our clients as a result. So we try and we try and create a holistic, uh, mm. positive experience for everyone. I'll tell you, it's it's a lot easier to do what Jeff Bezos does, which is just mm-hmm. exploit the shit out of everybody, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and it's a lot harder to create a business where you're trying to do right by everyone everyone in your entire circle of mm-hmm. of business but back to that question of what you want to be known for like i would way rather be known for that right and it benefits everyone involved when you actually do work like that you know like it's not so just tunnel vision to like okay i just want to make this so that i could get money and that's it you know exactly. it's like it's all the different components that will actually eventually even bring you more and it's not even necessarily monetarily, but bring you so much more, you know, I'm sure you've had more relationships through it and been able to connect with more people or just, you know, bring podcasters that happiness that they might've been missing because they've had to worry about all the little aspects and have found out, wow, this is really taxing on me and I might not be able to continue uh, my podcast in general, if I if I don't get that additional help. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We don't want people's stories and messages and wonderful ideas dying with them because they didn't mm-hmm. have the time to to produce their podcast. Like there's a reason that you look at the podcast demographics and it's mostly white males and it's because they have mm-hmm. more resources to do this kind of like time intensive, cost intensive media work. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to try and, you know, diversify that, that landscape. Yeah. So important. And 
with all the success that you've built so far, what's the most difficult thing to go through as a business owner? I think one of the most difficult things is doing your marketing and your public persona so well, meaning that you're you have a great active Instagram, you've uh, your colors and your design aesthetic look amazing. I think one of the hardest things is that building an appearance that looks like you're absolutely succeeding and thriving and just realizing that like behind the scenes, we're all just trying to really hustle our butts mm-hmm. off. Business ownership is difficult. And every person that you see that has a really nicely polished Instagram it doesn't mean that they've completely made it. It could just mean they stay up till 2 a.m. every night making it happen. Right. Um, I think that's been so hard for me because my friends look who especially are not self-employed and who are not in podcasting, mm-hmm. look at the brand that I've built and the expression of my work through the sources that they have, which are primarily social media platforms Mm -hmm. and, you know, congratulate me and really, you know, just feel like I've made it. But in reality, they don't know how hard and how much I'm still struggling to like build a highly profitable, sustainable business that doesn't Mm -hmm. fluctuate and doesn't have unpredictability in it. So I would say I see that you business owners out there, like we're all, anybody who pretends that they aren't, that they're working for themselves and that it's all roses. I mean, they're playing you because it's, there is nothing easy about being the front line of defense for a company that you've built and all of your employees and all of your clients, like you're it all the buck stops with you. And there's nothing Mm -hmm. easy about that, uh, regardless of how nice your Instagram looks. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that with like us business owners, especially when we go into it with a mission behind it and we do it because we love what we're doing and this is just the way we're going on about it. Sometimes we don't have the resources or, or like people within our lives that we could actually like speak to on the same level that could get it or, help us that we really need to do that research and put in the work on top of the work that we want to do. Yeah, I think that is is such a a solid point to put no matter what, you know, the branding looks like there is a person behind everything and everything starts and finishes with the business owner. (laughs) You're so like, yeah, you're so right, Ilani, that like, yeah, there's the difficulty of building a business. And then there's also that added layer of like, some of us are doing it for the first time in our Mm -hmm. own communities. And so we don't even have the resource to ask for help or mentorship in in the right places. I mean, I can definitely relate to that. I know you were saying that you're, you know, doing some continuing education around Mm -hmm. email marketing copy through a course because you don't have those resources for you. And I'm the same way. I mean, I'm, self-taught expert on everything. That's such a great point that that is also a really tough part of it. (laughs) Right. No, exactly. And I mean, you've already given so many great pieces of advice, but is there one that stands out that you haven't mentioned for our audience who are business owners or aspirational business owners that you could share? This is one that I continue to give, and it's one that I have to continue to remind myself as well. So I'm going to 
keep saying it with the hopes that eventually it'll sink in for me, um, <laughs> which is progress over perfection. Mm. As I say it, I roll my eyes because I'm just like, <laughs> oh, my biggest enemy um, is perfection. This desire mm. to, you know, to the point that we were just talking about, do everything to a degree that at least in appearance, it, it appears perfect. Mm -hmm. And it's, as you hear all the time, perfect is the enemy of good or what is it? Perfection is the enemy of done or something. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, just making progress sometimes is way more important than making sure that it's done to the highest degree because to a certain degree, perfection is subjective. So mm -hmm. it might look great to you or be perfect to you. And someone else might not even perceive that level of effort that you've put into something. So for me in my business, when I look at expanding, when I look at trying new things, especially marketing is such an experimental little part of business ownership mm -hmm. and is so public. So it feels like you have to perfect everything just moving, making action, taking steps, pushing forward is such a more important thing to do than doing it right the first time, because that growth and that learning comes from doing. So you will inevitably get better with time. And, you know, I would apply that little nugget to anybody who's listening, who has thought to themselves, would I like to do a podcast? podcasting and podcasters are especially susceptible to this because we use our voices to tell our story. So it's incredibly vulnerable. But I would say to anybody who's listening, you know, take action over perfection in your own life. And if one of those things is podcasting, give it a try because it is such a great way to help audiences understand who you are, get to know your values and get to know your business and ultimately, you know, increase your customers and sales as a result. So if you're curious about podcasting, give me a call. And if you're not, keep making progress over perfection. Yes. yes. Uh, such great advice. And just like yourself, sometimes I fall into like being trying to be perfect and not honoring the progress and the process yeah. of everything. So I need that reminder as well. <laughs> I need to put, I need to, I have to get that. Like I've said it so many times to myself and to others that I just have to get it printed and put up in my office. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need it. <laughs> and as we come to the end of our conversation, can you share a book that has personally influenced you to keep moving forward? Yes, I can. I am a super book nerd. So I've read a lot and I've read a lot of like business books and nonfiction and motivational books, a lot of books recommended <laughs> by my therapist. Like I have read some books, but the one it's your bit about keep moving forward that I thought was such an important point. And the book that comes to mind for me is Shoe Dog. It's the book written by the Nike founder. Mm -hmm. Now I am not a sports enthusiast and I would, I don't run, but <laughs> I found this book so interesting and inspiring as a business owner because of this central theme of the book, which is as the founders were building Nike, and even as they were doing millions of dollars in sales, in the last chapter, they have thousands of employees. Their, their scale is huge. Even till the bitter end, they still could not you know, convince banks to give them loans. Like 
They were mm. cash poor. They were basically buying so much inventory to support their sales that on paper, like they were always on the verge of basically going bankrupt all oh, the wow. time. And so I think it's that perfect example of like, even Nike at a point when they were like a well-known company still at times would be looking to the next weekend and say, or next month and saying, I hope we're still a company by then, or I hope we don't have to lay off all our staff, or I hope we can purchase this office space. They still had banks coming and calling for them and, or not giving them loans or not doing things like that. And it gets back to that kind of like that public perception of your business versus what's really happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. I mean, to tie this whole, like go all the way back and just like circle back to the very beginning, community and the people that you surround yourself do have an impact on the way that you like think of yourself and think and operate. I think Mm -hmm. it is important as business owners for us to surround ourselves, at least in some small part with other people who understand what it's like to be in business. Because if you don't have that perspective, you will believe that you are the only one out there with what appears to be an amazing company and behind the scenes or like underwater, you're just like a duck that's like frantically Mm. kicking, but like (laughs) so chill up above. Um, And this Nike book is such a perfect example of like, oh yeah, everyone is going through this. Even the Mm -hmm. biggest brands, even the most reputable companies, they hinged on like a week of time or a moment in time that that allowed them to continue and be the brand that we know today. So it's a very reassuring book. And it's also just hilarious to, you know, hear about like running as a hobby being invented, Mm -hmm. like just breaking into an industry that really didn't exist before. So that would be my recommendation. Shoe Dog. I don't even know the author's name. The guy who invented Nike. (laughs) (laughs) I'll definitely find it and add it to the show notes. But thank you so much. That was really, really good. And I'll definitely have to check that out because that sounds like such an interesting story. And I think it's always appreciative when you see like big brands or companies really get vulnerable and sharing yeah. it in any way. So very I'm therapeutic. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so good. And uh, where's the best place people can find you and connect with what's up with the wave? Yes. Thewavepodcasting.com will get you to all of our resources help you find our production service called Swell. And we are now open again, booking people in the studio. We have a ton of people finally able to record in our Los Angeles-based podcasting studio for women. So if you're in this area and looking for space, it is now available to you. Thewavepodcasting.com or at thewavepodcasting on Instagram. Those are the two best places. So good. Thank you so much for being here, Lauren, and being able to connect with you in another way than we have through our own podcasting journeys. And I I just really appreciate everything that we were able to speak about today. Me too. I You have been such a resource and an amazing person in my community, my mm. business community and my podcasting community. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in this week to Ilani Talks. Refer to the show notes for details about this episode and more. To get in touch, send a DM on Instagram at Ilani Talks. And if you enjoy this podcast, visit ilanitalks.com to sign up for the newsletter at the very bottom of the homepage. By signing up, you'll receive exclusive information that only subscribers get.
Until the next one, with all my love, Ilani. Ilani Talks guest episodes are recorded through Zencaster, and all episodes are edited by Swell, the podcast audio editing service from the Wave Podcasting. The music is Back to Orbit by Noah Smith. Artwork for the Ilani Talks logo, created by Carissa Zaron. Want to learn more about her? Visit her work at kzanimation.com where you can reach out about illustrations and animations inquiries.